Welcome to Valley Community this morning. We're grateful that you've joined us for worship. We begin with a song entitled, He is Greater Than We Can Imagine. Stand with us as we worship, we sing. Every day, we sing your praises. Back in Colorado, I was gone last week. I uh, got to listen to Paul's message, which was outstanding on Daniel, and appreciate him preaching. As uh, our kid, most of you know, our kids moved to Florida. We got two sets of our kids, and uh, we got Tampa and Orlando. And I hadn't seen Josh and Sarah 
their house. Diane's been a couple of times. She is able to do that. She has a Southwest and her use points and gets out to visit, but I hadn't been, so I took off last week and uh, got a little sun. I've got a very sore body. Um, you know, it's, you know, when the kids want to go play basketball, go to the pool, go to the beach, and you realize, you know, I don't do those things normally. I, I do the elliptical, I do the treadmill, I do the walk around the neighborhood, I lift a few weights, but I don't do basketball very often. And um, so I get to that point where if you're not, if you're not able to hit your shots, um, I can still foul. Um, and I, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of that with my grandson. <laughs> You know, he's, he's very, he's tall, but he's very skinny. And, um, and so I just back him down and bump him. And he said, Grandpa, you can't do that. I said, I just did. It's like, I do that in the NBA. <clears throat> but you know, it's like um, no place like home. It was great to, to get home, to fly in, to see my wife. That's where home is. And, uh, and to be here today with you. Uh, for those of you following Josh and Sarah, his knee is healing well. He had uh, major knee surgery, exact same surgery that Troy had. <laughs> so maybe they should have been hanging around together. Um, but he's recovering well from that. They found a good church and thankful for that. Uh, some good friends down there. And we miss them. You know, we miss our kids. You know, we, we, we do, but we're thankful that we can uh, travel to see them. Uh, one and one of them the West Coast and two sets on the, on the East Coast, but um, so we're thankful for that, and it's good to be, good to be back, to be home with you. Uh, by, by way of just sharing a little bit about what we have available in, in the back, um, there's some books on the table. I haven't put them all out because they're, uh, it'll take up t too much room, but this one is called Gentle and Lowly, and I, I got I think 40 or 50 copies of this free. It's a really, really good book. And so if, you, if, you'll read, just say, if you'll read it, you can pick it up. If we run out, I'll bring some more next week. But this, this talks about how Jesus relates to people. I think a lot of times we view God as this austere, distant, harsh um, God. And really Jesus puts skin on the face of God for us and it shows how how he wants to relate to us and so you'll find this uh, helpful we also have some Bibles out there and uh, little tracts of the Gospel of John so use those I mean they're they're good to give to people particularly the uh, copy of the Bible it just first page I think talks about how do you read the Bible how do you approach this and I like to Share that with people so they can see firsthand what God is saying. It's not just man's opinion. This is what God is saying and be encouraged by that. So, well, our text um, for the last time will be 1 Corinthians 16. We're finishing up 1 Corinthians. I look back, I started on the 13th of September, 2020. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, Craig's been joking around that he's going to finish 1 John before I finish 1 Corinthians. Well, I'm, this is my last... <laughs> Uh, message on this, and uh, I'm going to read this passage um, instead of giving it to someone else to read, because it's just like it, at the end, he's got it, what seems to be a lot of miscellaneous comments, but I, I'm going to try to, in the message this morning, bring him to really hone in on some, some real powerful themes that have been throughout the, the uh, letter that he's written. The, the title that we've given this series of messages in 1 Corinthians 
is walk in wisdom. And probably we need that as much uh, today as ever before. So uh, this will begin with verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 16. We'll read down through verse 24. And then a little later on, I'll share some thoughts with you. This is Paul speaking to his beloved friends. Uh, he's writing from Ephesus, which is across uh, the ocean. And um, he's writing to them to help them in some challenges they're facing. So uh, I'll read from verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanos were the first converts in Achaia, and that they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanos and Fortunatus and Acacius, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Achilla, Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I'll explain context on that in a little bit. <laughs> I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And these last words, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Because we recognize that it is true, it is supernatural, it is powerful, and it is helpful to us today. As we take this letter written almost 2,000 years ago and see how much it applies to our lives, I pray that we'd be able to do that personally and as a group. Thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul and for the sacrifices he made that helped teach us. We pray you'd bless our worship. Thank you for the time we can sing and praise your name. We think of our global partners and church family that are scattered about and pray that you bless them with a sense of your presence. We pray for those that are watching online, unable to be with us today. 
that you'd also encourage them as they're able to participate. We pray that your word would have great power to change us to the likeness of your son. And Lord, I know that in the course of any week when we come, we come with a lot of things on our mind, a lot of burdens, cares, heartaches, difficulties. And Father, I just pray that we would, for a moment here, take all those and give them to you. Just cast them over on you and ask for your help and that you would help us. We pray for our community, our nation, the world, the nations. Pray for our families, our kids, um, how blessed we are in our church. We pray that you protect us and that we would honor you today in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Stand with us as we worship, we sing. God makes a way. He keeps his promises. That is who he is.
working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, night in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. You are the waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God. throughout the New Testament. One of those was to David. And yet, here he was in the wilderness by himself, fearing for his life, running for his life. And he said this, You, Lord, are all I have. And you give me all I need. My future is in your hands. And how wonderful are your gifts to me. How good they are. I praise the Lord because he guides me, and in the night, my conscience warns me. I am always aware of the Lord's presence. He is near, and nothing can shake me. I am so thankful and glad, and I feel completely secure. You will show me the path that leads to life. Your presence fills me with joy and brings me pleasure forever. When he is all we have, he is all we need, and he shows us the path to life. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest, and without you, up to him this morning. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. our sin. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I 
So next Sunday is Mother's Day. Am I right on that? Yes. And it's May already. <laughs> I usually think in terms of calendar, um, for so many years of my life, the first week in May was getting all of our students ready for graduation. Uh, for those of you that uh, are, don't know me that well, but we spent a lot of time in the college environment. and. This was the time of year where students were graduating from college, they were finishing master's degrees, doctoral degrees, and so all this week was getting ready for that graduation. And we had graduation rehearsal and get ready so they all march up there properly. And so on that Saturday, which would be this coming Saturday every year, we would have uh, a number of people finishing their academic degree. And so I would be standing, you have the, the robes and the hats and all the uh, pomp and circumstance. And uh, we have a guy over here who had the radio voice reading their names. They had our chief academic officer that would hand me the diploma. And as the student would come up, they would read the name and I'd hand them their diploma, shake their hand, and usually give them a hug, which I know probably isn't protocol for a lot of colleges, universities, but. I'd gotten to know a lot of these students. 
And so it was, a, it was a bittersweet time. You're seeing them, they're finished, finally. They're just like, they are really, really excited. And our gymnasium, the whole floor was full of parents and grandparents and great-grandparents that had come to attend and siblings. Uh, we had the bleachers up. And so the whole place was just full. And a lot of excitement. You heard testimonies, there are academic awards given and so forth. But I still remember the emotion of watching someone who four years ago, I didn't even know. And I got to meet them. I got to learn their name. I, I got chances to uh, have conversations with them. Now they're coming. You're handing them their diploma. They go over here. Uh, someone snaps a picture, and they walk down. In, in front, and I'm watching as sometimes they're having little pauses, them watch with this huge smile on their face and walking back to their seat. And I'm thinking they have no idea what they're going to face. <laughs> and in reality, um, these, most of these students have prepared for some kind, some kind of work. Many of them were planning to go overseas and uh, restricted access countries were involved in going into ministry and that sort of thing. And, and I knew over time, when, when you do this uh, for 11, 12 years like I did, um, you start to hear stories unfold. Some of them would go out and see some great things happen. Others would find out they had brain cancer and die, um, car accidents, divorces, um, catastrophic things, disappointments, heartaches. Uh, and so you realize that they have a whole life um, ahead of them. And how, we, how have we equipped them? We may have equipped them academically to function that way, but have we really equipped them spiritually? And my prayer would echo what Paul's theme has been in 1 Corinthians, walk in wisdom. You pray that they would walk in wisdom, that they would have a genuine, intimate, real, vital, sustainable walk with Christ. And I know that for those of you that are parents and grandparents, that's what you long for for your kids. And that's really what Paul is longing for these people, that they would learn to walk and wisdom. As Paul was sharing last week in, in the life of Daniel, how he needed that in very difficult circumstances, how to process what is going on. You know, I think back to the first time I would meet with the freshmen. Uh, they would come with their parents. Uh, we used to call them helicopter parents. Their parents would, would come in and they'd follow them everywhere. I thought, well, I would die if my, my mom did that when I was in, going to college. I told her to stay, Mom, and just you can go now. But they'd go in, line up the classes, go see the dorm room, make their bed, go have a meal, and the kids are saying, you can go now. <laughs> um, but I still remember the, the eager anticipation when, what am I going to major in? What am I going to do? How is my life going to shape? And well, now they've gotten a little bit of direction, a little bit of traction. And these last um, few verses to me, are kind of like um, when I shared a little while ago about your, your final speech to your kids. You know, it's, it's like some final words that I have to say. And so, but I'd like to do, though, this morning, as I know I read quite a few verses and it covered a lot of a variety of things, but I think 
I think you can sum up some real basic ideas or basic themes that have really, we've seen all through this letter and, and summarize it to this, that when we talk about the call to walk in wisdom, I, I want you to take ownership of what Paul is writing because God's word has been written for you. I want you to see that God's word has been written for you. So, your walk in wisdom. That's the title of our message. The key verse that I think stands out in my mind that if we kind of build, build out as we look through this last part of this chapter is in verse 9. It says, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. You think, well, that's kind of a very positive statement. Some incredible opportunities have opened up for me. This is true for every believer. And there are many adversaries. This is also true. And this is why we need wisdom. This is what your kids are going to face. Incredible opportunities. But also there will be many adversaries. So Paul is challenging his friends, you and your walk in wisdom. And I want us to just kind of break this down to three ways we learn to walk in wisdom. Be easy for you to remember. The places we go, the people we meet, and the purposes we fulfill. It's the way we learn wisdom. We learn wisdom in the places we go. In verse 5, he talks about, I'll be passing through. Well, if you know something about Paul, he was, he was a traveling man. He, he had been to a lot of places. And it seemed at that time, it just seemed like he was all over the place. But typically, he would stay for some period of time. And so he's talking about his travels. We would call Paul an evangelist. Now, most my growing up experience was an evangelist would um, uh, come in for a week. And uh, he'd blow in, blow up, and blow out. That's how we'd say it. An evangelist would, you know, typically they'd be come out there and it's like this. <laughs> And get down the aisle and repent and get your life right, and I'm gone next week <laughs> after I picked up my love offering. <laughs> but an evangelist really is church planting, establishing beachheads of the gospel. And this is what God had in uniquely called um, the Apostle Paul to do, is to spread the good news to the rest of the world. It started in Jerusalem. We have the resurrection in chapter 15, and now Paul has been assigned this taking the good news of eternal life to the rest of the world. And so he's always on the move. And he talks here a few details about the calendar. Um, Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover, which that was when they celebrated um, Christ's resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection. And um, he also speaks about winter. So he's, he's kind of talking about a calendar. Traveling was not easy in the winter because of the, the seas were very unpredictable. If he was traveling across the Aegean or the Mediterranean Sea, uh, traveling was more difficult. 
But um, all along the way, God has been opening doors. This is what he said, a, a, a great door has opened to me, an effective door has been opened to me by God. And I think it's, it's interesting how God does that. There are times when he was planning to do one thing, and it's like, you, you ever get it to where you're just, you just keep trying, 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 and it's not working? And uh, you realize that that's not what God has. And this was kind of one of his experiences, that uh, the reason he even got into Macedonia or into Greece, he was in Asia, uh, modern-day Turkey, and he's actually writing this letter from modern-day Turkey, Ephesus, which is more toward the coast. But he wasn't even planning on getting over yet into what we know now is, is Greece from Turkey, but it's like the Lord stopped him, stopped him, stopped him, and then he hears this Macedonian call, come over and help us. And so it's, it's like the Lord will shut down this, and then he is going to um, direct him in a different way. And so this is the way God works in our lives, and we need to have the wisdom to be able to discern what God is doing. I've, I've talked to the guys in my Bible study is that we, we need to walk through the open doors that God brings and not kick the doors down. Uh, I think sometimes it's our way of, you know, I really want something. I really want to do this. I want to go to this place or accomplish this. And, and we tend to want to kick the door down. But here he's talking about a door has opened to me. And um, you remember back to chapter 8, uh, end of chapter 7, and then beginning of chapter 9, that... Um, the Apostle Paul, we first meet him on, on the road to Damascus. He is, he is going to Damascus to persecute Christians, put them in jail, and actually he's having him put to death. And on this road, he meets Christ. And so that was a, a journey and a walk that he is learning in his travels. The Lord sends him to Arabia, which is a very isolated place. He he takes the Lord, and for some great uh, period of time, really for several years, he is being taught by Christ. He has journeys to Antioch. He has journeys, we, we know of three specific missionary journeys that he takes. He has a journey to Rome, and he has a journey ultimately um, to his death, where he was executed in Rome. So when he talks about Doors opening up. His entire life has been defined by doors opening and him walking through and there being many adversaries, many conflicts. So the city of Corinth, we've described that as on an isthmus between the Aegean and the Mediterranean seas or a great deal of commerce, um, popular culture, um, a lot of things going on here. Very difficult city to live in. I mean, if you think about trying to live a Christian life and to follow Christ in a city, it is really, really tough. I Sometimes, have you ever felt this way? Boy, I, I hate to be raising kids this day. Don't, don't say that to the parents raising kids. We have the same God we've always had. But when you look at where we are as a society, as a culture... 
it is very, very difficult. But we have everything that we need. And it, it was difficult in this day for, for these people. There were issues in the church, not just in the city, but in the church. Uh, we've gone through those. Uh, issues of division, party spirit, sin not being dealt with, immorality, accommodating popular culture, a lack of love, discord in worship, confusion in the teaching and doctrine of the resurrection. And so this, this letter is probably the third uh, Paul had written one, they had written back with questions, and this is a response. This is the one we have preserved for us. And he says, there is a wide door open to me, and there are many adversaries. So what, how would you describe the adversaries in your life? He says this will come. He's also said that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So if you follow Christ, walk through the doors he opens in your life, you will have ad adversity. You will have difficulty. So don't be shocked. <laughs> Peter says this, don't, don't be surprised by the fiery trials that we face. And, and I think that this helps us to realize that following Christ means we're going against the grain of the rest of the world. So knowing that helps us not to be so shocked by it. So what are your adversities? Well, you say Satan himself, he is, he is called the prince of the power of the air. We say that um, we wrestle not, Paul says this later in his Second Corinthians, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. We even have troubles within the church, the betrayals that go on. And so Paul experienced all of these things. Everywhere he went, he would see doors opened up and adversity. So when your kids are walking across the stage, you're taking a picture, you're hugging, you're going out for a graduation party, they're, they're walking in front of you, you realize this, that God will be opening up doors in their life and they will face a variety of levels of adversity. You know that that's going to happen. So they need wisdom. They need wisdom. Your kids need wisdom. You need wisdom the same way. So we need wisdom for the places we go. Secondly, the people we meet. You need wisdom in the people you need, meet. My father-in-law used to have this saying, he said, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those we know, that's another story. <laughs> for a wide door, for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. What is the work of the Lord? Does anyone remember when I, we were in chapter 15, when I said, what is the work of the Lord? It's anything that matters for eternity. And that's people. That's people. This is about people. Wisdom in our relationships to people. 
In verse 18, he says, give recognition to such people. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19, it says, For what is our hope, our joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Ministry and the work of the Lord is about people. I think we need to understand that. We need to, to lay hold of that. It is not about accomplishments. It is not about organizations that you build or lead. It is not about titles and positions. It is not about the accumulation of wealth or the way the world defines success. It's about people. He talks about Timothy. He talks about Apollos. He talks about several other people, but let's just, let's just go back to, to Timothy. Because all of this is in relationship to people. It's about relationships. The things that last for eternity, this is the work of the Lord. Relationship vertically with God through Christ and relationships with other people. That's what life is about. It's not about stuff. It's not about the medals and the trophies. It's not about having your name on a big list or having an image on the newspaper or your, your people that know you. It's about those relationships. Now, Timothy, he speaks about Timothy. Let's just kind of talk about how he's interacting with, with these things. In verses 10 to, 12, 10 to 11, he says, When Timothy comes... See that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So when you, when you think about this, it's interesting. He talks about Tim, Timothy is his, his understudy, his young son in the faith. And he's talking about how He's sending Timothy to them. Be nice to him. <laughs> Treat him well. Don't give him a hard time. Uh, don't despise him. So, well, what's going on here? I think several things. One is that you've got Paul who's got status. He's got weight. He's got gravitas. I mean, that's the Apostle Paul. Now he's sending some, his young understudy. Now, we're not going to pay attention to him. <laughs> but yet, Timothy is called of God. He's been ordained in ministry. He is prepared for ministry. He is younger. But Paul is saying, treat him right. You know, typically pastors are given to help people grow. And so you, you, your whole ministry is to help people. But do you realize how much the people in the church help the pastor? That pastors also need help. I can say this now because I'm older, <laughs> but when I first started pastoring, I'd gone to college, gone to grad school, got married, and I started pastoring. I was 24 years old. Now, I looked a little different. This is true. But now I know some of you are thinking, 24, how could anyone sit out there? How could anyone call you pastor? Um, 
I had people, some people say, are you still in high school? Because I just, I just looked young. But let, let me tell you an experience for Diane and for me. We were so blessed in those early years. I mean, we had people coming that were old enough to be my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. And they loved on us. They encouraged us. They would ask us, what do you need? How can we help you? They'd be doing stuff for us all the time. So that for, for us, getting started in ministry, it was, it was really good. It was very, very encouraging. And it was encouraging for our kids when they grew up in a pastor's home. It's not always that way. Um, I know some young guys, they, they'll finish seminary, they'll go off and they'll pastor their first church, and it's like they just hit a buzzsaw. They can't do anything right. And I'm sure it goes both ways, because I, I think probably a lot of pastors have been pretty miserable <laughs> to their people, and vice versa. But what Paul is saying is, is you as a church family really encourage Timothy. Don't, don't be on his case. Don't uh, dismiss him. Do not despise him. He talks about Apollos um, coming. He was a very popular speaker, um, but he worked well with Paul. He talks about first convert, converts in Achaia in verses 14 to 18. He says, these people refreshed my spirit as well as yours. So this, what should be happening in the church is pastors encouraging people, people encouraging pastors. These others, others that are visiting, we're, we're giving of ourselves to help them. Now I look back over all of my the ministry over the last 40 plus years, and I feel like unusually blessed with the people I've pastored. In fact, right now, with, with I shouldn't say this to you because you start getting a big head, but <laughs> I'm kidding. But I feel very blessed. I think I speak for Diane to feel very blessed to be your pastor, to be a pastor here. Um, and, and my prayer is this, that wherever you go, because I don't know where, where we'll all be in 10 years. You know, you could be in a different state. We're always having people move away. Wherever you go, that you be a blessing to a pastor. Um, and that they would be that way to you as well. This is the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord is people. It, it is people are what matter for eternity. Look at everything else up on this stage. I mean, everything physical we see, bank accounts, money, jobs, trophies, medals, accomplishments, buildings that are built, fields that are planted, all of that stuff is going to go away. But people are forever. People are forever. And so I ask you this question, who are you investing in? I know you're investing in your job. I know you're investing in your bank account. I know you're investing in projects. Who as a person are you investing in? So what Paul is asking them. And of course, I think he models that. He, his whole life has been given to investing in people. So even though I'm not speaking to a bunch of pastors, 
I have a word for pastors. <laughs> and uh, you can pass this on if you talk to one sometime. So I would say to pastors, those of you who love to lead, love to plan, who love to organize, who love to study, who love to preach and teach, who love to build churches, who love to lead missionary efforts, if you do not love people, get out of the ministry. Leave it. Or better yet, repent. Get right with God and become a shepherd who loves his people. Now, I'll tell you why I say this. I've spent my whole life, adult life in ministry. I've spent much of it training people for ministry. I meet weekly with pastors who are doing ministry, and I found many that love to lead, and they love to preach, and they love to teach, and they love to organize, and they love to do things, but, but they really don't love people. And I'm thinking, how do, you, how do you stay doing this? And I know some people are hard to love, and a lot of pastors are hard to love. But, but this is the message of the Apostle Paul, that the work of the Lord is about people. So you need wisdom to determine the places you go with the people you meet, and finally, the purpose that you will fulfill. And I think that if you ask this question, what is my purpose in life? What is it that God has for me to fulfill, to do? In verse 13 and 14, it says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. What are we to fulfill? What are we to do with our lives? And I think there are, there are two, two passages in 1 Corinthians that have personally just kind of redirected my entire life. And I've shared these with you. One of them is in 1 Corinthians 10.31, where it says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So I would say your number one purpose is to glorify God. That's worship. God created you for worship. God created you for relationship with him. Now, why did that verse arrest me? Because I was worshiping myself. I never would have stated it that way. I would have said, oh, I'm a self-worshipper. No, but my entire life as an 18-year-old was about me. It was about my life, about what I want to do. What, where, go to, what college do I want to go to? What do I want to major? What do I want to study? What do I want to do with my life? It was like God brought me to the place of complete misery and brokenness to show me this is not about you. Your life will be fulfilled when you acknowledge me and worship me. And... So I made a decision at that time to as best as I could try to start every day to live my life for God's pleasure, not my own. Have I done that perfectly? Absolutely not. <laughs> but it is my greatest desire. And I also know this, that when you live that way, you live in concert with and consistency with why he created you. He created you with purpose. 
So the glory of God, that is, I am to live for his glory. Secondly, I live for his gospel. The gospel of Christ, which is the good news of eternal life. God sent his son into this world to rescue us from our sin, to forgive us our sin, to give us eternal life. He rose again. This is the good news. And folks, there is no news that is more helpful to anyone in the world than the gospel. Because every other bit of good news probably doesn't matter <laughs> long term. This does. And I remember reading through 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, it says that the preaching of the cross, in other words, that's the good news, the message of Christ died, was buried, rose again, is to the world foolishness. It's just nonsense. But to those of us who are saved, it's the power of God. It's life transforming. And so I know this, and I knew this also happened to me that same summer after I graduated from high school, is that no matter what I do, no matter what business I go into, uh, whatever my career might be, nothing matters more than this good news, people hearing this good news. So how do we fulfill these things? And he, and he says, be watchful, um, be aware, be alert, stand firm in the faith. He says, act like men, <laughs> be strong. This is our challenge. And then the attitude that we're to have is, let all that you do be done in love. You know, at the very end of this, it kind of sounds a little bit dramatic. He says, if someone doesn't love God, let him be anathema. That's actually an Aramaic word. He throws in two Aramaic words, anathema and maranatha. Anathema, I mean, if you don't love God, you're not going to love people. In other words, this is the message. Loving God, loving others. And if you don't love God and love others, let that person be accursed. And then Maranatha says, is saying, Lord, come. This is the hope, the expectation expectancy that we have for him. So in, in your life, you know, we've read through 1 Corinthians, you're speaking to these people, you're making the application in your own life, God wants you to learn to walk in wisdom. We need wisdom today. The places we go, the decisions you make, the choices you have, the doors that open up, the doors that may close, the adversaries that you'll face, you recognize this, that the spiritual warfare in all of the places you go, you need wisdom. You need wisdom in how you work with people. That's what life is about. And finally, you need wisdom on the purposes of your life. Why, why are you on this earth? I hope you figure that out. I hope your kids figure that out. Because if you spend your whole life chasing dreams that fade away, it's a very empty feeling. God created you with purpose. So I'll leave you with a takeaway. How do I walk in wisdom? Number one, 
There are three of these. Seek wisdom consistently. How do you seek wisdom? You seek it from God. You seek his word. Um, reading through Proverbs is a good start. You seek wisdom from God consistently. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Secondly, ask for wisdom from God. I mean, he tells us, James tells us, says, if, if any of you lack wisdom, hello, <laughs> all of us lack wisdom. If, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give you and he won't give grudgingly. He will give generously. And then finally, follow wisdom faithfully. Proverbs 9, 6, it says, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. You can't really experience wisdom unless you obey what you know, what you already know. A lot of times we want to know more. God wants us to obey what we already know. And you can't really walk in wisdom or learn wisdom if you're not obedient to the wisdom God gives. So we pursue it, we seek it, we pray, we ask God for it, and as best as we can, we obey it and we follow it. And God will give us the wisdom that we need until he comes again. And that's that word, Maranatha. <laughs> um, he's coming again. And we have that hope that will endure with us. Father, thank you for this great letter. Thank you for the ways that it applies to our lives. And I pray that you'd help us to each one walk in wisdom to realize that the places you send us, the open doors, there are many, many adversaries, the people we come in contact with, Lord, may be very challenging, but this is what ministry is about. And then the purpose for which you've created us, to glorify you and to spread your gospel. So Lord, help us to pursue it together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We finish this morning with that theme. God is opening a door, making a way. He's working in our hearts. He's working in our midst. And our response is we worship him. We follow in his wisdom. Join us as we sing. You can stand with us as we finish with this. He's working in our midst. He's working in our lives, opening doors, keeping his promise. Thanks for being with us this morning. Have a great Sunday here at Smith.